0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus album. The King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Vault. There's also Old Man Metals Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is life with Lou Mavs, the right opinion for those who love politics a South Park podcast called Suck My Balls, The Infinite Fringe, watch a watch long wrestling show called Beyond Bushido, Extradivarius guitarist, the Timo Toki podcast, and the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcasts. So check out RatSalReview.com or search Review on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. time for Rat Salad Review with your hosts, Wayne Noon, Greg Norgle, and Nate Lander.
1: afternoon, wherever you guys are, and welcome to Rat Salad Review. Today, we're going to do a special show with me, myself, here, live with Martin Popoff, who is an excellent author in the heavy metal and hard rock area. If you haven't heard of him, you should have, and you should definitely check out his books. But uh, he has a new one out, a companion piece, I'd like to say, to your Blue Easter Cult Secrets Revealed which is entitled Bluister Cold, A Visual Biography, which has some really cool pictures
2: and essays on uh,
1: BOC throughout the years. Good morning, Martin. How are you today?
2: Yes, good morning, Greg. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. It's very cool. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks for dropping by. So um, uh, what, what led to this book? Did you always have this planned after you did? Because Secrets Revealed was uh, really detailed. That's probably one of my favorite rock books.
2: Yeah, so so basically here it is. This is this is what she looks like. It's big, uh, big, crazy hardcover with the with the little you know tag for a uh, for a bookmark in it. Uh, the little cloth thing, but um, yeah. So it's basically a you know. Um, just a, a book of uh, one of the cool spreads on it. So essentially, um, yeah, we did secrets revealed way back in 2005 with Brian Slagle and metal blade. I had a bunch of books come out uh, that we had on the metal blade imprint, which was kind of cool. Then I reissued it and then it got reissued again. And the title got changed to agents of fortune, the blueish occult cult story. So that's the current version. Um, and that's through Weimer uh, publishing. And, uh, and so that did pretty well for them, and it did did well for me before, Metal Blade before. And uh, and over there at Weimar, they have been doing some of these um, full-color-throughout, big, heavy coffee table books. And the idea came up to do one of these again, and we were just throwing around a, a bunch of band names. And because, you know, Jerry and Gary over there have had good success with the Agents of Fortune one, Blue Oyster Cult came up. And I, I said, you know, I, I didn't want to, specifically because... The other book is actually on Weimar. I didn't want to have any overlap at all with that one. So I said, okay, well we got to have a bunch of text in it. I, I, I don't want just a picture book. So what I did is I came up with the 15,000 word timeline because I've done a lot of these timeline books over the years on specific bands like deep purple and yes. And even these big um, coffee table books for backbeat. I did an Aussie, a maiden and a motley crew for that. Um, so I, I like this timeline thing. So but but there's no quote. So I just did I just did a timeline that goes throughout the whole book and then intros um, to each one. And then then the only small little overlap is uh, is they wanted like a like a band quote um, to start off each section. So there's intros to each of the decades kind of thing, and then this timeline that goes throughout and then brings it right up to date. But yeah, most of it is. Um, the the whole idea is is it's a color throughout coffee table book. I think there's like 420 uh, images of various wow. types in there, going right from the beginning. So lots of memorabilia, 45 sleeves, LP sleeves, but most of it is like live shots and stuff like that from the very beginning right to the end, including even some brain surgeons, which is kind of cool in there. Um, plus uh, that's Albert's Sideband, right? And then um, and then also like right right up to date, like it literally ends, you know. Uh, two two three months ago we actually put it together pretty quick so yeah it's uh, it's really cool I, I i think blue oyster cult uh, as you know be, you know being an expert on them yourself i mean they're very visual band right um there's you know all the all the covers look great and you know having the logo and all that stuff and and uh, and they were a great looking band live so there's a lot of cool visuals so it's a it's a good band to do um a book like this on
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, it's awesome. uh, Speaking of the black and white period and just how the BOC mythology kind of formed and all that. I love the design of the book because, you know, in um, pretty specifically a specific example, but, you know, the cover to the first record, the Bill Gallick City of the Future painting and even the the symbol, the logo, whatever you want to call it based on Kronos, but uh it and even the name Blue Easter Cult always really evoked um HP Lovecraft for me. Yeah. And uh growing up I had the Arkham House editions of those Lovecraft collections and they were bound in leather like that with the cloth tag. So right. yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well I mean that brings up a whole nother thing. I mean there is a um there is a book in the works right now um of uh kind of stories inspired by the Imaginos saga. And I got wind of that and essentially I I did a whole bunch of illustrations for that. I did a um did yeah my timeline. That's right. So so my main piece in that is a is an Imaginos era timeline. And Imaginos is uh you know based on Sandy Perlman's um, the occult the occult reasons for world war one is, is more or less the most succinct version of, of the imagino story. So I did that. And then I recently, I just did a um, I just did a article that hopefully will go in it again, where I um, basically went through all the doors lyrics and uh, and found anything that would relate to the Imaginos saga, and came up with this crazy thing that uh, Sandy, you know, first first was given the Imaginos story. It came down through Jim Morrison, through through the Imaginos character himself, and and first, you know, the lyrics were embedded in the Doors lyrics, and then Blue Oyster Cult. So, so yeah, this is all just. Because this book is, is essentially a lot of people writing fanciful stories that, that leap off of the Imagino saga. I, I just thought I'd do one myself and, and went through all the Doors lyrics. So that was kind of cool.
1: <laughs> That's really cool, man. That's a neat idea.
2: Yeah. I look forward
1: to that one, too. Yeah. Um, I, I believe in the original Soft White Underbelly House. Didn't they have a uh, mural of Morrison painted uh, with a lion's body?
2: I kind of forget that maybe maybe so it's probably in my book maybe you saw I was going to say I, I think I, I read know.
1: that in Secrets it, Revealed it's actually funny.
2: I write all these books, um, partly to, uh, to get all this clutter out of my head onto paper. And then once it actually is on paper, it's out of my head, quite a lot of it. So it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm quoted back. I look on, uh, on wiki all the time for stuff and I go, well, that's a, that's a cool, uh, little piece of trivia. I'll use that. And, oh, I, that's from me. <laughs> I use that already. So, so it's, it's funny. Like I'm, I'm like all over wiki on, on these things, for, you know, quoting from these books that I, I just completely forget that, um. Some of these nuggets are in there.
1: Yeah, you're you're always super detailed, so I I can't see how you could remember every little tidbit. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially on something like Imaginos. I mean, God, it's just so all encompassing—from the poetry through the demos up through when it was actually recorded.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a cool book, and I and I've kept on expanding the timeline where I've got a version uh, that's well beyond what hopefully will show up in this book. I mean, I think what's showing up in the book is 3 or 4,000 words, but my imaginos timeline now is uh is now about a 15,000 word document. So I might do something with that um, you know, separately at some point. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it brings into it brings into, uh, you know, all all the stuff like the German occult revival of the Victorian era and, you know, the Victorian itself occult revival. And Austin Osmond Spare who's who's one of my favorite artists of all time and Aleister Crowley and all that. So it's 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 this long, detailed timeline that comes up through all that, all the Rosicrucian stuff and and anything that has anything to do with Imaginos. And then but but I'm more or less going to stop it. At uh, at kind of the end of World War One, um, but then I've got all these other little timeline tidbits where you could almost come up with a whole second half and and bring it all up to World War Two. But of course, every time you know, as soon as you go past World War One, everything is a little contentious. Like, do you really want to write about all this stuff because it's all basically Nazi-related at that point, right? right and and it's and it's beyond what Sandy's stated goal was for the story but but it's funny, like there's all these kind of uncomfortable little Nazi connections. With, uh, with Sandy and the Blue Oyster Cult a, as you go on as well. And, and you know, a, a, few, a few oblique references to Nazi-type things in Blue Oyster Cult lyrics, like, you know, any 262 is about World War II and all that kind of stuff, right? So Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. It's, uh, and and even, in, even in the timeline leading up to World War I, there's a lot of uncomfortable little things in the timeline which are, uh, you know, because all, all of that German occult revival stuff say starting at around nineteen hundred to say nineteen eleven and, and going beyond is it, it is kind of the, the setup for uh for any any um you know occult leanings mm-hmm. of the Nazis themselves. I mean this is where they're getting it all from. It's all those guys that essentially started it, whatever, eighteen ninety through to nineteen twenty as and, it all comes up. So yeah,
1: yeah, and one of the most interesting things about that too is um, you know, yes, you don't want to get too much into the Nazis, but uh, the the occult revival spread so far and so deep through their culture. It's actually amazing how many just regular Germans were into it.
2: Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, one one of the neat things about that whole revival and and like I say, I've related it all to the imaginal story. But I mean, there's the German side of it so you've got to relate because it's about world war 1 and i also relate it to the um you know the the assassination and the the um the prussian the austro prussian because there is no germany at this point right so it kind of it kind of all starts there and also, you know, you got to kind of relate the Russian Revolution to it a little bit. But the occult revival is essentially—it's a there's a German one, there's a French one, there's certainly a British one with with Austin Osmond Spare and Crowley. And then also, um, you know, there's quite a bit going on in America on on the West Coast. You know, I also relate. A lot of things related to the Cliff House, which is on the cover of the Imaginos uh, thing um, cover as well. Right. Uh, but then there's a big upstate New York uh, occult revival. Right. And there's all the spiritualist stuff. So. So, yeah, that 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 revival is kind of happening all over the place. And it's essentially kind of like an 1850s, 1860s thing right through to, uh, you know, certainly it's it's going full speed by the time of World War One. Right.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, and I, yeah, uh, I always imagined, Imaginos himself being at the, uh, the Hindenburg crash personally.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I, I, I don't know. I, I could ramble on about all the connections as soon as you bring something True. up. There's, yeah. But there's a lot of, uh, relating to, um, the, the Hudson pier fire and Crowley coming over and then the Galveston hurricane and then the cliff house burning down and the Sutro baths burning down. And, uh, you know, so, So, yeah, there's all this subtle stuff that you could write around Imaginos being at the nexus of all sorts of little disasters as he moves through. And then is, does Imaginos inhabit Aleister Crowley at some point? Like, and and then is Imaginos part of the cause of World War One or is he kind of? You know, more uh, a benevolent character is he warning us about World War One and trying to, uh, you know, trying to prevent it. So you you never know. And then and then is he is he here as a as a messenger of the old ones, the Lovecraft-esque, you know, amphibious characters who live either in the middle of the earth or whatever, or or you know, be started as aliens and they live in the ocean or they live in the middle of the earth and there's all that hollow earth stuff that is part of it, right? So, uh, so yeah, it's funny. Is, is he a spokesman? Is he, um, you know, he, he is an offspring of them. That's, that's for sure as part of the, part of the story. But, uh, and then, yeah, like what, what is, what exactly is his role? And it could be anything you can imagine, whatever, cause the story is not that, you know, it, it's not that detailed. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I had
1: an idea for a follow-up story myself that uh, would have taken place during the Cold War, but uh, we, we'll leave the Imagino subject because <laughs> I have a feeling we could go on this yeah, about yeah. all
0: day. Yeah. <laughs> for <laughs> but, sure. Um, uh,
1: one of the promo items you have pictured in your book, I noticed when you flipped through, that uh, is really my favorite BOC promo item. I've always been looking for one, and... I think it's cool you featured it in there because not a lot of people know about it but the pack of cigarettes cassette uh for fire yeah. of the unknown origin
2: yeah and a lot of that came from a buddy of mine jim powell who has a great boc collection uh in the washington dc area so it's uh kudos to him he scanned a lot of really cool stuff and uh, and sent it over so some of the very best stuff is definitely from jim you know some of the stand-up cutout stuff let me see oh, here I, i'm, I'm going to show you one other thing here sure and this, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I think we didn't put this in there. So I have some regrets. I, I was going to take a picture of this and put it in, but I don't think I did. It's in the pictures on my Facebook and on my site uh, holding the pages open. But um, there's this little. Um, oh, wow. Agents of Fortune, uh, you know, thick plastic cube full of sand. And it's a it's a paper it's a pen holder. See it's it's got a hole here. You hold a pen like that in it. So that so that was really cool. That's a neat promo item that I have. Wow but I don't cool think one. we even I, I, I forgot it. it slipped my mind to take a picture of it and stick it in the book. So dang <laughs> oh
1: well. <laughs> I have um and the well, the one probably isn't in there because it's just a tour scarf. You know, they, they okay. made those constantly throughout the eighties, but, um, yeah. I have a counter display for, I believe the eight track of mirrors. It's designed to have the eight track snap oh, into it, cool. but it's the car mirror die cut and it kind of pops out oh, of the stand.
2: That's nice. Yeah. I don't think that one's in there, but yeah, there, there is uh, one or two from, from Jim that are in there. I think there's a, a fire of unknown origin, uh, die cut in there. So, oh cool. yeah, and, and all the forty-five. sleeves. I mean, amazing. Even their forty-five sleeves are just so cool, right? And then promo pictures and the ads. That's the other thing I always have throughout all my books. I love the I love the ads to the point where I've started drawing ads myself, right? I've started drawing and 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 coloring, and you know, let me show you that too. So so I did this. Um, let me see here if I can find these quickly for you. Um, so I've even started. Because I love the ads so much, I started drawing them just black and white to begin with. But then I started doing, um, you know, color ones like like this. So this is uh, make making up my own. Um, oh wow! Making up my own. Uh, this is pencil crayon on black stock. But you know, making up, you know, putting the text. In a different place and coming up with different colors. So I've started getting into. Uh, here's a Black Sabbath one I made up that doesn't exist. You know, I, I just took some <laughs> World War II planes and used some text from an old, uh, you know, an old. Yeah. Hitler's uh, Act. And then uh, let's see what else we got. I and mean, there's another there's another Sabbath one. I'll just show you the other blueish color one, but th- this one's pretty straightforward, a technical ecstasy one. So yeah, it's just pencil crayon on Ooh. black stock. But because I love the ads so much, and I've always put them in my books, so here's here's a very made up one, right? So that's a that's a photo by a buddy of mine named Rich Galbraith that I that I made and mirrors ad and and came up with my own color scheme on. So there.
1: Wow, you, you got Eric there. That's awesome, Martin. So. And, uh, you you know the the really cool thing I like about what you did there is
2: one uh, more. There's there's um uh, there's my Zeppelin presence one.
1: Oh wow! So yeah,
2: that's a really cool idea there. Doing show and tell, I'll just keep going here. Here's here's yeah whole, why not? Here's the Led Zeppelin whole lot of love one. That's uh that you know so what I do is I find old ads where I like the text but there's not much to the ad and maybe it was a black and white ad and then I come up with new stuff. So here's here's one I made up for. From an old magic poster for uh, "In Through the Outdoor," so there's ah. there's the "In Through the Outdoor" text, and then you see guy reading from a book there. That's from an old magic ad, right? That's really cool. And we've got stranglers. These, these ones that are not on black text uh, are, are not on black paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always stressed out that they're not going to turn out, and I hate doing them while I'm doing them because it's so hard getting the pencil crayon to transfer. Um, but when I'm done, I'm usually happy with it. And here, here's a Strangler's one again using a uh, a magic ad, an old magic poster ad. <laughs> right? So, And then this one's going to be hard to see, but this is... This is just white mono, monochromatic white pencil crayon on a gray stock. So that's the damned. And some text from a magic poster calling it black art. And that's really there's, neat. That's, there's, there's the gal from the damned. So anyways, I'll stop there. So uh, <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, so the Bluest Cult book... Is uh is crammed with lots of the ads, right? Because I just love the ads, and and the Blueaster Cult ads are even some of the best ones. So there's even some displayed full, um, you know, some some small, but um, yeah, I I even want to do a whole series of books just on ads. I wouldn't mind doing that because I have a big collection of four thousand of these cutout ads from Melody Maker and Sounds and Enemy, and I, wow. I just I, so. <laughs> anyways, yeah,
1: but yeah, the the, uh, the... I've always enjoyed the ads too, and VOC definitely always had some really uh, cool ones. My favorite yep. was always of uh, Buck and Eric crossing the guitars, and Eric's kind of screaming, and Buck has a cigarette
2: in his mouth. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. we got some photos of that live, I think, too, in there. <laughs> uh,
1: oh, cool. Well, I I I think it was, um, you know, just a tour ad made from that live shot, yeah. and I believe, yeah. I I think it was probably around the time on your feet or on your knees because it had the first three albums across the bottom and it said something like Blue Oyster Cult on tour now. Not on tour forever. They weren't to that point yet.
2: (laughs) There's some great slogans in those ads from Blue Oyster Cult. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, the text they came up with was really cool because they were... They were kind of a critics darling. Right. And Sandy like wanted, you know, he put a lot of elbow grease and effort into into the the text. And they were they were a literary band. Um, So, you know, it's almost like the 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 uh, the rare critical acclaim for a heavy metal band. Um, rubbed off on them, and it was a feedback loop where they they tried to do better on a literary basis all the time, whether it's in their lyrics or in the ads. And, that, you know, I think of a lot of ads that actually quote the critics saying good things about them. And And frankly you know i'm sure a lot of the good things said about them by the critics is the fact that they're one of the rare bands that's right there in new york city and they're hanging out with all these guys right so they're in one of the media empires of the two in in the states which is really rare for a heavy metal band cuz there's you know almost nobody comes from new york when it comes to being a heavy metal band so so they they did quite well uh, with the critics, as did the dictators, who were also managed by Sandy, right? And and they sure. played the Blue Oyster Cult. So so you had those two guys right there, you know, right in the cauldron of the Lower East Side or whatever, um, all the time. Although Blue Oyster Cult, technically, I suppose they're a Long Island band, but uh, but you know they spent a lot of time in in the city, and uh, and um, so yeah, they're 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 part of all that cabal, and you could tell there's there's a feedback loop going on, and all these guys appreciating each other and what they do.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Now, um <clears throat> well, the critics didn't like it so much, but just out of curiosity, what uh what do you think of kind of the image change and the sound change? Well, more so the image since you're uh doing that book right now, but in between, you know, kinda out of agents onto the mirrors era.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, we, we have a YouTube show called The Contrarians, where the idea is one of us has to argue for your favorite album of all time by a band that's a weird, weird choice. And I did an episode on Blue Isher Cult, and I picked Mirrors. I love Mirrors. I um, do, too. Yeah, it's it's so well recorded. It's like one of Tom Worman's better recordings. Uh, And and that's one of the problems with Blue Oyster Cult. I think along the way, um, the sound was a little cardboardy, a little thin, a little didn't have enough bottom end on it or or. Well, top end maybe, but uh, but Mirrors has everything. I mean, it's just a good high fidelity sounding record start to finish. And yeah, the image uh, is changing a little. You know, 1979 is a very weird year. Um, all, all of our hard rock heroes, all of the bands are faltering in one way or another. Aerosmith's falling to pieces, Kiss is moving on to Dynasty, uh, Ted Nugent is going through a divorce, and, you know, his albums are selling slightly less, although I love State of Shock, I uh, did a, did an episode on that then, but Blue Oyster Cult does go through this, um, you know, I, I think one of the big, um, you know, falsities about Mirrors is that it's poppy, poppier than, you um, I don't think it's that much mellower than Agents of Fortune or Spectre. Certainly, I mean, we we as kids always had mathematical formulas on these albums, and basically, it's it's one third heavy, just like the other two. They're they're all yeah. three of them are one third heavy, right? The next one, Cultasaurus Erectus, I think is a little over one half heavy. Um, so there's a difference there, but. Mears is not that much mellower than specters i don't think and uh no. yeah but but it does it does have a little more it is a little more accessible um but it's got the vigil probably the greatest bloister song of all time uh, on it um so I, I i like that thing i mean i i didn't mind that they cleaned up a little bit maybe the hair's a little shorter or whatever i mean i i think their look they never had really an, an embarrassing an, an embarrassing look along the way um and then they were kind of heavy, and, as Albert calls it, misterioso again on Caltasaurus and on Fire of Unknown Origin and even Revolution by night so so they're they're um I don't think their image really um drastically 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 changed anywhere along the way. I think they've been pretty consistent with that, um but yeah, with songs like in the and um I don't know, maybe, maybe moon crazy, or maybe the title track itself. I mean, they could be, and you're not the one I'm looking, I'm looking for. I was looking for that. Those are a little more that way, but, uh, but I just think it's such an easy drinking album. It's a great summer, summer album. Um, It just sounds great. It's cheerful. It's not dark and murky like agents of fortune is uh, for example. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm totally happy with it. And, and yeah, on this Contrarian show, I mean, what sort of happens sometimes, and it happened with Deep Purple as well, is like, you you think about the albums as a whole, and you go, well, you know, I'm supposed to like Machine Head more than Perfect Strangers, but do I really, right? And then, you, then it's like, you know what, Perfect Strangers, even though it's 1984, it's my favorite Deep Purple album, you know, when you look at the whole album. And I think the same thing happens with Blue Oyster Cult, where you go... Yeah, there's obviously classic magic moments that you might like more than the magic moments on Mears, but as a whole album start to finish, once they once you start disqualifying them all, what's left standing for me? Mears is left standing for me. Excellent.
1: Yeah, and um you know, although uh, they drop sort of the dark overtones during that period. It's still there in the lyrics. Like Moon Crazy is one of my favorite yeah. songs they've ever done. Actually, probably my favorite song from that record. Wow, um,
2: that's cool. <laughs> I oh, oh
1: yeah, I love um, I love that Japanese forty five of it too. I would love to get a hold of that someday. <laughs> They're Oh, yeah. It just looks so cool with the five of them lined up, holding the mirrors, and then the Japanese text. It's <laughs> yeah.
2: Wow, yeah, yeah, that's neat, yeah. Yeah, I think but, that's uh, some of the ads as well. But uh, yeah, the lyrics never never falter. There, there's amazing, amazing, that's that's the other thing. I mean, Bush de Cult is basically my favorite lyric. My favorite lyrics of all time I always cite is du Dubois from Max Webster. The army that is the writers, you know, the writing cabal of Blue Oyster Cult and Captain Beefheart. Those are my three top favorite lyricists of all time. So it's a joy writing any book on Blue Oyster Cult because it's just so damn in- interesting, start to finish. Right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And um, y- you know, the stories behind the making of their albums are always so involved too. Like, and and I know it's probably nobody's favorite, but uh, even the story behind Club Ninja is pretty interesting and yeah. you know uh perfect water is a perfect boc song there's a there's a couple yeah. good tracks on there i don't think they ever released anything that really lacked completely in quality they always
0: sort exactly. of kept
1: evolving and what, what what i loved about boc as you said the writing cabal as a whole between the, the music and the lyrics is they would take things that kind of seem like it wouldn't work for them but made it work in their style
2: yeah well and they all they always um you know they're a little crusty and cranky and they feel i think those guys buck and eric do feel some regrets at certain things but you know when they reflect back on it they they sometimes feel a little bit slighted that they weren't bigger than they were but then i feel like shut up and be thankful for what you got because you got a lot of gold and platinum albums and a couple, I think a couple of double platinum. Um, but certainly, you know, you've, you've, you've had a very good run. Um, you, you were pretty successful, but then when they, you know, when they're, when they're pushed on it, they do realize that they were trying to do something a little bit artistic and challenging that was bound to go over a lot of people's heads. So maybe it did have kind of a a a, a, uh, a mirror glass ceiling of uh, of how big it was ever going to get because it it was it was challenging and 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 tricky. There were a lot of uh, little tributaries, a lot of a lot of strange avenues to what they were doing. So you know, I I think they would all admit, all those guys would admit um, that. Uh, that they didn't, you know, even though they had many very irresistible commercial things about them, they didn't they didn't completely surrender to every single commercial impulse that there was. Right.
1: Well, <clears throat> sorry, sorry. <clears throat> that's very true uh dude the only thing i have to say about it is again bringing up club ninja the only time i ever saw them and they ever made me go what the hell was the video for dancing for the ruins all right because (laughs) (laughs) well it was it was the way they dressed buck and eric for that it looked like you're too Uncles that like Duran Duran just dropped into this random concert.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember, but as soon as we're done, I'm going to go watch it. I mean, I, <laughs> I want to see that. But uh, it's funny, you know, you, you mentioned Club Ninja, and you make a very good point that, that um you know it It is the album everybody puts down, but but you make the good point that that there's so much uh you know value from every single blue or cult album. I mean i I love the band so much that you're right. I don't think there's a single album anymore that I would say that i that I think is total crap and uh, and I might have used to say say that about club ninja at at one point in the past, but I certainly don't anymore. I mean, I basically you know quite like or love every single record they ever made so yeah that is their most commercial period um and and you're you're also correct in saying like a a very complicated making of that album as it went along but uh yeah it's got some good songs even dancing in the ruins is a pretty cool tune um and then White Flags, the cover of Legat. I mean, who covers the Legat brothers? For yeah, that's ridiculous. You know, um, Blue Oyster Cult does. So uh, that that's really cool. So I thought White Flags was a, was a pretty cool tune on there, too.
1: The Really, the only two tracks on there that I think kind of drag it down are the two Halligan Jr. tracks.
2: Beat them uh, Up It's one of those, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, make, make Rock Not War
2: is yeah, honestly
1: yeah. the only Blue Oyster Cult track <laughs> I hate. And... It's yeah. not their fault. They play it with conviction, but a bad <laughs> song's a bad
2: song, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, there's a couple on there that I just don't like the musical instincts on either but but it's almost like sometimes when you don't like the the music of a song that's not a super commercial song it's it's more you can chalk it up to taste and go I wouldn't have done that I don't like that rhythm it drags or whatever but uh, so there's a few like that and you know the Imaginos album itself I'm I'm less of a fan of that album than most people as well I, I still find it kind of unlistenable because of all the all the choppy differences in the production and stuff and and it it feels a little bit like a record that's trying to be heavy for heavy's sake and and it's it's lacking in personality i think but then i love i love heaven forbid and curse the hidden mirror i think they came back super strong in those two and they're going to do another one hopefully so um you know that's that's the word on the street right there's there's one on the way so that that'd be cool
1: (laughs) yeah i hope so i've always wanted them to do one more album you know it, it just because uh Curse of the Hidden Mirror. I do like that record. That's another one where people hate it, and I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" But um, it doesn't quite seem like the album to leave off on. I re- yeah.
2: yeah. One of my one of my complaints with that record is is a slight, slight complaint with I have uh, that I have with Deep Purple right now. Uh, and I love what Deep Purple's doing right now. They're another one of my favorite bands and their new album is a masterpiece. But I but if I if I had one negative to say about it, <clears throat> it has this. Uniformity of sound across it—that nothing sounds particularly super heavy and nothing sounds particularly mellow either. And Curse of the Hidden Mirror is a funny one that way, where where it just seems to be all recorded in this behaved middle zone, whereas Heaven forbid wasn't like that. It had mellow songs, it had ragingly heavy songs, so it had more peaks and valleys. Curse of the Hidden Mirror just has Mirror just has this sort of this this sober through line through it. And that's the way I, I feel a little bit about these these beautifully produced Bob Ezrin Deep Purple albums, that that it they just that nothing ever sounds crazy crunchy and going for it. And, and there's nothing that sounds really quiet that you have to, you have to, you know, turn it up to hear what's going on, like really acoustically or whatever. I mean, it, it's it's like the distortion pedals turned on everywhere, but it's a behaved librarian sort of distortion pedal. <laughs> <laughs> polite metal <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well they are from england
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah no i i know exactly what you mean though yeah that's um yeah i i don't know if it's production techniques or the way they master albums now but i noticed that with a lot of bands it's um i i don't like to use the word homogenized because the music doesn't lack power it's just the tone of it, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 But I can't think of a better way to describe it. But uh, yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. It's almost but, a little bit like, uh, like when Metallica would do ballads, or or some heavy metal bands would do ballads, and then they just get lazy about it, and 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 instead, like like they pick the individual notes on their guitar, but they'd leave the distortion pedal on, or at least leave the electric on. They wouldn't switch it out for an acoustic. That's kind of what it feels like. Curse of the Hidden Mirror to me just feels like. They're going into a room. They're all playing kind of kind of everything full electric. But some of the songs don't sound like they're written like heavy songs. Like nothing on there, nothing on there sounds like a heavy metal song. It's kind of odd, um, but I kind of like it for that. It's it's a very different album and a very creative album, and it and it, and it literally doesn't sound anything like their previous material. So they changed a lot as they went through all these records, and and that's kind of kind of the one of the things I like about it. That that everything is kind of in the middle on it. Yeah. yeah.
1: You, you know what? Me too. And, um, but, and that kind of brings me back to what I was saying about it, uh, not being a good stopping point is heaven forbid is definitely a beginning and curse of the hidden mirror kind of seems like the middle point. And, uh, cause I feel like BOC always did a lot of things in threes <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: as far yeah. as how, uh, eras go and that, I don't know if that's intentional. That could just be us, the fans way of looking at it, but, uh. Yeah. That just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, so I really look uh, forward to this last chapter. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, it's, I I hope it happens. But yeah, see, that's the other thing about them being a little crusty and cranky along the way. Like, they've always grumbled about the making of records. They said, no one cares. You know, no one cares if we make a record. It doesn't matter. We're just a little bar band. You know, it's like we're just wearing ourselves out, playing live all the time. It's just, <clears throat> you know, they, they feel a little bit upset that they haven't gotten their due like i say but they did get their due but i think i think kind of what maybe now that they're a little bit um you know that that i find a little disappointing in blue Oyster cult is that there are certain bands from the 70s that got massive or stayed massive and had these massive careers blue Oyster cult definitely definitely are, are one of the, you know, and the, one of the bands, I guess, you know, I've never really thought about this, but they're definitely one of the bands that were massive, that got small really quick and stayed small for a long, long time. Like basically they got small probably around 1984, 85, and they never got big. again yeah. right. Uh, so, so I, I can see them being a little bit, uh, you know, ticked off at the world. Um, because because they kind of stayed small they they never uh, they never got big again and then and then there's bands that have you know kind of a weird middle ground like uh who would i say you know your sticks your sticks mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. thing where you know you never had a big record ever again you never made a lot of records but you you could still sell a lot of tickets like sticks is not a club band they're basically a shed band right and, yeah. and they, They they would be on, you know, they could headline sheds or they could be in the middle slot of sheds, but Bluish Occult never even rose to that level again. So everybody's at different levels, but BOC, unfortunately, you know, BOC is one of these bands that um, you're always reminded of that because they did stay touring all the time. I mean, they basically are on tour forever. They didn't go away. So there's even a level below BOC of bands that were big that just disappeared and blueish occult didn't disappear but unfortunately they just became this hard working grinding club band uh, essentially uh clubs and theaters um and just worked super 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 hard but never really got the payoff of it ever again
1: no and y- you know it's it's an interesting uh predicament to think about that way too because you have bands Like, you know, the Stones, who are still massive, who, uh, you know, aren't doing anything special, certainly don't sound as good as BOC does, Mm -hmm. where um, they're still huge. And it makes you wonder if BOC had made more albums, would it have changed it at all?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that certainly invigorates a lot of bands. You look at your eye heap, you look at Saxon, you know, bands that make a lot of records. You look at Iron Maiden at the at the top end, you know, I I I I would say that some of Iron Iron Maiden's massive success as a ticket selling uh, entity. Um I would say 10 15 20 percent of that is because of the vitality of keeping on making records on a regular basis right so yeah it's uh, it's always great and and just just for the bottom line of the world being a greater place because boc infused more art into it it would have been nice to have more boc records
1: oh definitely and uh but You know, overall, one of the greatest things about them, the mystery, I think, has endured throughout the years as far as the image goes, which everyone can see in your book. I think they were very consistent. They always kind of kept their own brand. And um, it's... BOC, while I always wish they were bigger, it was always nice to know that you had this intellectual heavy metal band that you could love, almost like having... A special connection to them,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: is how it always felt for me. Which, again, that's just me personally, but
2: yeah, yeah, endlessly entertaining. I mean, that's why that Agents of Fortune book is is in its third edition and and still doing well. And that's why we could even do a a coffee table book on them. People just love. People love that band around the world. I mean, they have got a big following in Europe too. Britain always really liked them for some reason. You know, I always sold a lot of a lot of books to British people of of the BOC thing. So um, yeah, I, I think um, I, I think their their reputation at least uh, you know uh, among the you know the super serious rock uh, heads has never really gone down.
1: No. And um, Oh, uh, before we tie up here, though, I I did want to mention one thing. You had mentioned how they uh, seem kind of bitter. Uh, So years ago, the first time I contacted Buck through email, Mm -hmm. I was asking him about a possible re-release of Flat Out, and he goes, not going to happen. Nobody cares. (laughs) Yeah exactly
2: yeah and that's how that's how they feel about making records i mean most of these bands do i mean i even rush i know rush got a little bitter about the idea of making records i think towards the end um but um but yeah boc definitely because i remember interviewing them all through that period and and it's like ah maybe we'll get around to it maybe we won't you know there's there's too much we got to put food on the table we got to hit the road and play i mean this is We're a working band. So, I mean, it's... And, and, you know, I I think sometimes also they do realize that they have a high standard to uphold and it's, it's harder to make a, you can't just phone in a BOC record. Right. So, you know, and they, they got to have great lyrics and they got to have great production and great playing. So, you know, it's sometimes maybe, maybe these guys build it up in their heads and go, man, to, to make a proper BOC record actually is, is hard work. So that's why they, you know, they, they get a little scared and and trepidatious and uh, and it takes a long, long time, but uh, yeah, hope, hopefully we get another one. Indeed. Yep.
1: Well, thank you very much for coming on today, Martin. I've really enjoyed talking to you about BOC and the book. And um, I really look forward to getting a copy of that. It'll go nice with uh, my agents of fortune. Have to remember the titles different
2: now. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, looking forward to what they're doing in the future. I hopefully I, the tour comes back before 2021. I kind of doubt it with the virus, but.
2: Yeah, well that's I mean, that's the other thing. It's like if BOC, you know, is in this horrific situation where they're basically forced into unemployment, I mean, there's another reason to put out some product. I mean, I I've been telling bands and managers all the time when since this started, like, you, you gotta turn your business into a mail order business and, and what better mail order item than a whole new album? I mean, that would be so cool. And they could sign them and sell them at their site and they could do great business. So if you're not gonna be allowed to play live you better become a mail order business. So let's, let's see that new record.
1: <laughs> Hell, I, I've got about, let me see, 98 soundboard recordings on here. I could give to them and they could do some archive live releases.
2: <laughs> exactly. Great. I mean, you, you should contact them and talk to them about that.
1: Actually, <laughs> I wonder if they'd be
2: interested in that. I,
1: you know what? I'll have to uh, say, you know, I'll probably have to delete this from the recording, copyright laws and whatnot, but, uh, I have an excellent one from Minneapolis from the Mirror Store.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That uh, I'll have to send your way. I think you'd like a lot.
2: Yeah,
1: cool, cool. Right on. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they, um, I think they actually do, I'm not the one during mm-hmm. the show, too, which yeah. uh, I don't think they did live very often.
2: Huh, right on. Yeah. Right <laughs> cool. Well thanks, right, man. well, thanks for having me. This has been, yep. this has been a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Martin. And, uh, you know, I do plan on doing something about the first two records coming up pretty soon here. So hopefully I'll get you on again and we can discuss that and just how we feel about it. And okay. everyone, hopefully everyone goes and watches this and checks out your book, all your books, whether it's Goldmine or 500 Greatest Heavy Metal Albums, down to <laughs> UFO. I've read most of them and they're all excellent.
2: <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've got everything in the blaster coat. Like I was saying earlier, I mean, I, I should get a new shipment of the uh, of the, um, the the new one. The uh, I keep forgetting the title. Yeah, vi- visual biography. We are going to call it visual history, but it's called visual biography. So uh, I, I think I'm actually getting another hundred of these. Today, and I sign them and ship them. It's not even at my site yet, but I've already shipped out 100 of them. Um, So at martinpopoff.com, basically, all all my books that are in print are there. There's PayPal buttons for everything for international US, Canada. I sign them, send them out from the office. Uh, But yeah, this one's actually not at the site yet but people can email me at martinp at inforamp.net or go to my Facebook and messenger me or whatever. And I'll, I'll tell you all about it. But yeah, I I have been sending them out and and I I get another hundred sometime this week. Excellent. Good news. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks again for coming on Martin.
2: And you have a good day. When you want to do that next one. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do it on those first two albums. That'd be really cool.